Hello and welcome to our Maritime Impact podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Nyhus, Director Environment for Maritime at DNV. In this second series, we will continue to explore current greenhouse gas policies and regulations shaping the maritime sector. We will discuss the latest developments in the EU, the United States and in Asia. And we will, of course, keep a close watch on the developments at the International Maritime Organization. As always on Maritime Impact, we will continue to ask how these developments may affect shipping businesses in the move towards a decarbonized future. In the previous episodes, we've covered our key global regulators, the EU, the IMO and the US. In this episode, we will focus on another region and some of its key actors, namely Asia. We hope you enjoy the episode and now on to the show. Countries in Asia are home to some of the world's busiest ports, shipping companies, sea lanes and shipyards. Because of this, their actions, domestically and internationally, will play a critical role in shipping's efforts to decarbonize. Maritime nations like China, India, Japan, South Korea and Singapore are all engaging actively at the IMO in work on greenhouse gas regulations. They also all have their own decarbonization policies and strategies, which are likely to impact the industry. So what are we currently seeing from these key Asian maritime countries? Let's dive in and find out. Let's start off by recognizing that in an international perspective, Asia can in no way be seen as a monolithic block. This is obvious when it comes to politics in general, but it is equally applicable when it comes to greenhouse gas policies and regulations. At the IMO, this plays out in various ways, but if I were to point to one at least partially common denominator, it is that the key shipbuilding countries in Asia are maybe more sensitive than others as to how greenhouse gas regulations can impact their shipbuilding industries over the coming years. This is, of course, eminently reasonable. After all, when considering policy options, every country in the world is striving to see how decarbonization and domestic economic growth can be achieved simultaneously. One hallmark of the key Asian countries is that they have been very active in the IMO's work on greenhouse gas-related regulations. This goes all the way back to the inception of the discussions of the Energy Efficiency Design Index in the mid-2000s. It is also clear that there is a strong commitment amongst these countries to developing regulations by consensus through the IMO, even if there can be a wide divergence of views on what that consensus should be. We see that countries such as China, Japan and South Korea all have domestic carbon neutrality targets clustering around the 2050 to 2060 mark. And we expect this to translate into recognition of the need to strengthen the IMO's greenhouse gas strategy. While some Asian countries are expected to endorse full decarbonization of shipping by 2050, same as what the EU, the United States and others are proposing, we are not convinced we will see that level of ambition from all. Given the IMO's emphasis on consensus, we believe that the 2023 revision will tighten the greenhouse gas strategy significantly compared with where we are at today. But we remain unsure as to exactly what the new consensus trajectory will be. So what happens when we put the microscope onto some of the domestic issues dominating the Asian maritime landscape? Let's move on from the broad international picture to the more narrowly focused domestic ones. When it comes to the potential for domestic regulations that could have a truly global impact, one of the most significant states in Asia is obviously China. 
Still classified as a developing nation, China has not yet reached its expected CO2 emissions peak. In 2020, China announced its intent to become carbon neutral by 2060, and recently it has stated that it will end its investments in coal-fired power plants abroad. China has also fully rolled out its emission trading scheme, or ETS, this year after piloting it since 2017. While the system so far is being applied mostly to the power and mining sectors, it provides a platform that could be extended to other sectors, including shipping. It should be noted that since the system builds on a form of efficiency credit trading, the carbon intensity indicators recently agreed at the IMO provides a metric that could in principle mesh well with the Chinese ETS. We are of course aware that China, India and Bangladesh have submitted a paper to MEPC 77 in November this year, where they argue strongly against regional carbon trading systems being applied to shipping. In principle, this should lay to rest any speculation that China could decide to expand its own ETS. Still, China has moved unilaterally on environmental regulations of shipping in the past, so we would not wholly discard the possibility. In South Korea, 2020 was a significant year for climate ambition, with the government announcing a Green New Deal and a domestic net zero target for 2050. This was tied to a commitment to speed up investments in clean technologies across the economy. Given the significance of shipbuilding in South Korea, we expect this to have real implications for investment in the development of green shipping technologies. While we are not seeing South Korea rolling out domestic greenhouse gas regulations targeted at shipping specifically, we do note that it rolled out the first Asian and nationwide ETS back in 2015. Presently, it covers about three quarters of South Korea's domestic CO2 emissions, and while it does not cover shipping, it is seen as a linchpin of their CO2 emissions reduction efforts. It may be premature to speculate, but we're thinking about the effect the inclusion of shipping in the EU ETS may have on other countries with their own systems, such as South Korea and China. Finally, a few words about Japan, the world's third largest ship-owning nation and a leader in maritime technologies. Japan is a central actor in shipping's decarbonization efforts and in line with this has rolled out an ambitious technology strategy, the so-called Roadmap to Zero Emissions from International Shipping. This is intended to ensure that shipping can reach the present IMO greenhouse gas strategy's targets. Japan has announced its intent to achieve domestic carbon neutrality by 2050 and is one of the countries we expect to see supporting a significantly more ambitious IMO reduction trajectory. That being said, we do not expect to see any Japanese efforts at rolling out domestic regulations for shipping greenhouse gases. Japan has always been very clear on its preference for the IMO track when it comes to shipping regulations, as well as greenhouse gases, and has in that context also expressed concerns over the EU's expansion of the ETS to cover international shipping. Now, let's consider this domestic picture along with a broader international outlook. So, to the key takeaways. Firstly, the Asian countries are crucial in the development and update of the greenhouse gas strategy and regulations at the IMO. There is a broad range of views amongst these countries on what is an appropriate level of ambition, and this will have a direct impact on the 2023 revision of the strategy. So while we are convinced we will see an increased ambition agreed in 2023, we are unsure if the IMO consensus will go as far as full decarbonization no later than 2050. 
Secondly, in contrast to what we're seeing in other parts of the world, we do not see the immediate risk of additional domestic greenhouse gas regulations emerging in the key Asian countries. That being said, we do see a wildcard in the potential responses to the rollout of the EU ETS. For some countries, it would not be technically difficult to respond with similar regulations of their own. For shipping as an international business, both the domestic and international aspects of what happens in Asia are of course very significant. Needless to say, we will continue to keep a very close watch on both. Before I go, I want to let you know that we have recently published our new compliance planner, available on our website, which is designed to help DNV customers easily track the existing requirements and deadlines of regulations for both individual vessels and entire fleets. This will, of course, be kept continuously updated as the regulatory landscape evolves. As always, DNV stands ready to assist. You've been listening to the Maritime Impact Podcast from DNV with me, Eric Nyhus. Please join us for our next episode, where we will focus on the outcomes from COP26 in Glasgow. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to give us a rating or review or visit dnv.com forward slash decarbonization for more information. Thank you.